0: Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The Local Station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with The Local Station.
1: Hello and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host Scott Johnson. This is episode 38 of Going Ringside. So glad you could be with us. The show continues to grow. I hope you'll still encourage people to spread the word about the show. Um, If you know wrestling fans, fan groups, online groups, anyone who might like wrestling, tell them to give a check out to Going Ringside. Let them know we're out here. Um, And once again, as always, give us a follow at at Going Ringside on both TikTok and Instagram, Um, putting a lot of exclusive content there. Every single day, stuff that you see on the podcast, stuff that you don't see here on the podcast about the ongoing world of pro wrestling. So, so glad you could be with us. And before we move forward today, I want to talk a little about last week's episode, episode 37. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts right now or on YouTube, Going Ringside, episode 37. All about the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers, the legendary comedic tag team. And I make my case on why they were so good despite their goofball corniness they were extremely over extremely a-list famous in the wrestling world for a reason children and family love them uh, families love them and you can go back right now listen to what bushwhacker luke who we have on the show says they did at the white house you'll want to hear that uh i don't want to give it away but you want to go back and check that out and see what the bushwhackers had going on we also discussed uh the future of john cena um because there's a lot of talk of what is going to happen with him going forward did he have his last match at crown jewel now that the hollywood actor strike is over is he going back to hollywood forever never to set foot as an active wrestler in a wrestling ring again it's a possibility we break it down on the last episode episode 37 go check it out right now today we are changing gears so to speak to something a lot more serious than what we've been uh, talking about in recent weeks Talking about a murder case, and that would be the murder case involving Jimmy Superfly Snuka and the allegations of what happened with his then-girlfriend in 1983, and then eventually he was charged 30 years later. And we wanted to look at that case. Um, we have a veteran homicide detective joining us a little later on the show. He was a, uh, one of the main detectives for many, many years with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office down here in Florida to help us pick apart this case, which is really odd. To have a murder case where you have a a person of interest not charged for 30 years. We're going to talk about that with him. And uh, after that, later on the show, we'll also be joined again, who's joined us on the show a few times, Joe V, Joe Vithyathil. He's a news anchor out of KPTV in Portland, Oregon, and a friend of the show and knows wrestling as well as anyone I've ever met. So he's going to give us some thoughts on the legacy of Jimmy Snuka in light of this case. Um, so let's first talk about who Jimmy Superfly Snuka was. This all happened in 1983, when he was in the WWF. And this was an important time for the WWF, maybe the most important, because it was right as they were about to go national. This was about a year before Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik and won his first heavyweight title with the WWF. Rock and Wrestling Connection with Piper and Mr. T. And I have an image that you can put on the screen of Piper and Mr. T. And Jimmy Snuka in the ring. This was in that buildup with Rock and Wrestling Connection. The reason why I think this picture is important, because when you think of 1980s WWF, you think of um, Hulk Hogan. You think he was the guy that Vince McMahon built his empire on the back of. But if you ever ask wrestling fans, you know, if Hulk Hogan wasn't around, who would have been the guy for WWF to be the face of the company going um, forward? Most people agree it would have been Jimmy Snuka. Before Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Snuka was Vince McMahon's crown jewel. He was his mega star. He was the guy who was going to take Vince McMahon national, take him to the next level and become this uh, national icon wrestling figure um jimmy snuka was at the peak of his celebrity in 1983. fans loved him all over the area and when i say area i mean the northeast because this was as vince was changing he was starting to get his product on cable systems throughout the country and eventually put all the competition out of business that's your awa your uwf your mid-south To an extent, the NWA, which was his only real competition after everyone else folded. But Vince is about to go national. So this is a very important time for his business um, to stop being the Northeast regional territory in New England and New York and and become a national brand. And Jimmy Snuka was a big part of that. So Jimmy Snuka was uh, known for his high flying abilities. Uh, Fans loved him. Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack or Mankind, famously said Jimmy Snuka influenced him to get into pro wrestling. When he saw in 1983 Jimmy Snuka in a steel cage against Don Morocco and Jimmy Snuka well before this was something that wrestlers would ever think of doing, he climbed at the top of that near 20-foot high steel cage and jumped off the top of it. And Mick Foley, famous for getting thrown off the top of a cage by The Undertaker about 15 years after that, um, says that influenced him. He's like, I want to do that. Jimmy Snuka was legendary in the industry at this point. However, Jimmy Snuka had a lot of demons and personal issues going on. Um, I'm gonna reference a few things um, in this podcast. One of them is the Dark Side of the Ring episode. Dark Side of the Ring, if you're not familiar, is that documentary series that Vice did on many of the controversies that have come out over the years in um, WWF and WWE and pro wrestling, Um, from the the murder-suicide involving Chris Benoit to the death of Owen Hart and other tragic issues in the ring, and they, of course, Talked about the Jimmy Snuka case. Um, so I will reference that uh, throughout the show. And there have been other articles. I mean, the Jimmy Snuka case is something that's been talked about a lot. So, in a lot of the reporting, um, Jimmy Snuka had substance abuse issues, namely the one that was talked about in The Dark Side of the Ring and a lot of other um, coverage of this is that he had an issue with cocaine. And if you've Studied wrestlers and their lifestyle in the 1980s. It was a party-rough lifestyle. Guys going town to town, living in and out of hotels, on the road. Drugs and alcohol were were, were embedded in this world. Um, some guys were cleaner than others. For instance, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. They always say Steamboat was just a clean guy. Um, we had Hacksaw Jim Duggan on a number of episodes ago, and he said, you know, I, I had some issues with that, but I never got hooked on it. Jake the Snake Roberts, on the flip side, did get hooked. And and you can go back and watch our Jake Roberts episode. He struggled with drugs and alcohol for many, many years. So it was a reality for many wrestlers. And the reporting has been that Snuka had an issue with cocaine. So one of the things that came out of this was that Snuka, the way of wrestling back then was you had to drive town to town. He lived in and out of hotels. And Snuka was married at the time, but he was on the road most of the year. His wife lived states away and they had children. And so Jimmy Snuka um, had a guy who would help him get, make his dates and get around town. And Jimmy um, you know, had a rough, rough upbringing. I've seen some reporting that he may have had issues with reading and writing. And um, so they kind of had a person on the road with him. And one of the people who was on the road went to Vince McMahon and said, I can't handle him. He's too crazy. He's too wild. And there were the drugs and the other issues. So along the way, there was this young woman named Nancy Argentino. She was a young, attractive woman in her early 20s. um, And she went to a couple wrestling matches um, with a guy. I want to say she was linked with Johnny Rods. He was a wrestler back in the day. And she met Jimmy Snuka. um, And this is detailed in that Dark Side of the Ring. And they became close and eventually started dating. And eventually she started kind of being the person who would guide Jimmy from town to town and get him where he needed to go. Um, And the Tonga kid, I believe is the, um, Sammy Fatu is the one who would also travel with them. And Jimmy brought him in and um, helped guide him from town town to town. So um, they would go everywhere together. And it was just the lifestyle back then. Um, So Jimmy would drive around and there were concerns that between um, Jimmy and Nancy, uh, Nancy Argentino, that there had been some abuse issues. The main issue that came about was um, 1983 in early 1983 months before she lost her life in january that police in an area in one of the towns they were in had been called to a hotel room where they were staying after people complained um, about you know he, worrying a woman was being assaulted or, or attacked or abused police come and they find jimmy snuka and a lot of the reporting is multiple officers had to restrain him and they said it was almost like he had superhuman strength um and jimmy kind of did i mean he was incredibly strong gifted top level athlete with the wwf he could do a lot of things and he was a very strong man so to an average person even an average police officer you know, containing him, maybe if he's in a drug-induced state, would be very, very difficult. And this did make some news back then. Now, now keep in mind, this is important as we go forward in the show. The difference in the world in 1983 versus what you see today. Keep in mind, there was no internet, no social media. The only way you would know something happened in the world is... Maybe you might see it on the TV news, but most likely you would read about it in the local paper wherever you're at. The newspaper was by far and away the main way that people got their information, and there were limits to it. So, for instance, if a celebrity did something bad today, as soon as the news is out for anyone, within an hour, half the country knows about it. You get an alert on your phone, um, it's on all the networks, it's on X or Twitter, it's everywhere. Back then, none of that existed, none. At best, a newspaper would pick it up and maybe it would be circulated on the news wires to other news agencies, but that was that was kind of a crapshoot if that would ever happen. I mean, the, the reporting back then is A reporter would hear about it and read about it, maybe in the police blotter, or they had a contact at the police station who might tell them about it and would get a small write-up in the paper. Every once in a while, you might have a crime that does get larger distribution in multiple newspapers, but that takes a lot. So Jimmy Snuka, who's very famous at this point, being involved in an altercation with police was newsworthy, but eventually Nancy, Nancy Argentino drops the charges. She does not press charges. There's been a lot of speculation over the years of why she didn't press charges at the time, but she didn't and they get back to life. Um, And so this story was able to be contained to minimal coverage and this was important to pro wrestling because if a popular wrestler today got in trouble with the law, we'd know about it immediately. People didn't know Jimmy Snuka was in trouble with the law. It maybe made a few newspapers, but the vast majority of wrestling fans didn't know it. They just saw the guy on television who was their hero. And Vince McMahon could keep putting him on television because the vast majority of people didn't know what happened to Jimmy Snuka. It's why you hear stories about wrestlers back in the day at bars or nightclubs or having fights here and there. The people, you didn't know about it. There just was not, we were not in the information age yet. So they were able to contain this. And I've gone through a lot of the documentation, particularly on the the initial January 1983 concerns about um, abuse. And you go through it and you see the lawyers wrote notes um, to uh, the police officers saying he was sorry, he felt remorse, and he, he essentially almost got a legal slap on the wrist, but never did any jail time. One thing that I thought was interesting was uh, police even documented seeing Snuka on TV in a neck brace. I want to read you, put a quote up on the screen. I want to read you a quote from the Onondaga Law Enforcement Information System. This is one of the things police uh, put in one of their reports. In reference to the above arrestee, this writer, uh, the officer, observed the arrestee on national television approximately three to four weeks ago on a sports program called World Championship Wrestling. The program is televised by WTBS Atlanta, Georgia, where the event allegedly took place. I think this is when Vince McMahon tried to take over Georgia Championship Wrestling um, before NWA was on TBS. It's kind of called, I think, Black Monday is very famous in wrestling history. Anyway, during the program, Mr. Snuka was interviewed by a television commentator who is allegedly his professional manager. During the interview, Mr. Snuka appeared with a neck brace on. Supposedly, Mr. Snuka had been recently injured by another wrestler during a recent wrestling match. The exact extent of his injuries was not discussed during the interview. However, mention of a neck and back injury was made. Additionally, the commentator elicited a response from Mr. Snuka that the injury was not permanent and that he, Snuka, would be back wrestling within a week or two. I just thought it was really interesting that uh, they were including in their reports... In their police reports, uh, seeing Jimmy with a neck brace doing an interview on television. It, it, you can come back to me on camera here. But it's almost like the the kayfabe and the storyline of wrestling and the reality was, was bleeding over. And police were trying to kind of wade their way through it. I think um, like Bobby Heenan wore a neck brace in the 1980s. Much of it was because he actually did have an injury with his neck. It wasn't all gimmick. You know, sometimes you would kind of turn maybe a real injury into a gimmick on camera and you wouldn't be sure what was gimmick and what was real. But eventually that those charges just went away. Jimmy Snuka and Nancy Argentino were back on the road again, back dating. Um, and in the Dark Side of the Ring documentary, they interviewed Nancy Argentino's sisters uh, who talk in depth uh, a lot about concerns they had about Jimmy. And changes in Nancy and some concerns that Jimmy, uh, A, was violent and B, that they were aware he had drug issues. Cocaine and drugs in the 1980s may be a little different in the early 80s as far as the public um, opinion on it. I was a kid at the time, I don't know. Um, but, but they were aware of Jimmy and they, had, they expressed some reservations. So that is January 1983 when that domestic issue happens. Um, Fast forward four months to May. They're in a different city in the Northeast, uh, a different town after having an event there. Um, And after the event, they're back in a hotel. And this is when Nancy Argentino loses her life in May of 1983. Um, Jimmy had said that they were driving and she had a fall, a bad fall, and hit her head um, when they pulled over and she needed to use the restroom while they're traveling around. And then he took her to um, the, to the Wa- George Washington Motor Lodge, is I think what it is. Um, in, it's now the site of a Home Depot. Um, in near Allentown, Pennsylvania. This is in a different municipality, but near Allentown, which is a common stop for WWF. Um, and they would go to Allentown a lot. They were big business back then, particularly for that area. Um, and he gets back to the hotel and she's not doing well at all, grasping for breath, um, problems. Eventually police are called. They go in. And eventually Nancy Argentino um, died and they found traumatic brain injuries and, and, and they had Jimmy there. And we're going to talk about the homicide detective a little later about this. And so they, they had a dead woman. They had the man there, really the only one who they would have believed could have had anything to do with it. Was it accident? Was it accidental? Was it not? Police detectives had to go in and determine this. Um, And Jimmy was broken up, they say. Um, But he was never criminally charged. And over the years, Jimmy Snuka has um, had stories slightly change back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But at the end of the day, they never charged him with murder back in 1983. So I want to put something else on the screen. And this came from the autopsy report. Let me pull it up so I can read it a little better for you. Um, After review of the history and complete autopsy, the body of Miss Nancy Argentino, death is attributed to craniocerebral injuries, the pattern of which is consistent with a moving head striking at the stationary object, but is not consistent with a single simple fall in view of the multitudinous other scalp, facial, bodily bruises, and abrasions. The multiplicity and magnitude of the injuries may even be suggested, suggestive of mate abuse. So the, the, the autopsy, the coroner is seeing other injuries on Nancy Argentino's body. It's kind of a red flag in a police investigation. You know, is there a pattern of abuse? I, I don't recall if, if the police at the time had immediate access and knew about that that incident in January. But he's never charged. Um, I do want to mention one thing, and I don't want to get into it too much in this case because, on our episode, because I don't have all the details. There's been a lot of reporting on it um, about Vince McMahon and um, kind of being a resource for Jimmy through this process. In the Dark Side of the Ring episode, they they report a couple things. They report that um, McMahon was in touch, I I think it was on a phone call with detectives, where he he told detectives that Jimmy will cooperate fully with any police investigation, and and he got Jimmy back on the road wrestling uh, back on his regular schedule because Jimmy needed to go to town to town and needed to be on camera and, and at wrestling events, wrestling. The other one um, the, from Dark Side of the Ring is the sisters say that Jimmy's promoter, is how they referred to him in the episode, called their mother on the phone. And they say that that phone call involved the promoter, we have to assume it's McMahon, because that was Jimmy's promoter at the time, offering the family money, and they were outraged by that. Um, and, 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 I don't know that they ever accepted any money or not, but eventually the family did file a wrongful death lawsuit against Jimmy Snuka, and they were successful. I want to say it was for like a half million dollars, and there's been reporting that Jimmy never paid a cent. Jimmy never paid them. Um, but But they did have, you know they were able to justify a a wrongful death lawsuit against Jimmy Snuka because he was present. Did he respond enough? Did he get her uh, medical attention immediately? So they won that wrongful death lawsuit. Um, And there was one other thing that came up years later when Jimmy Snuka eventually wrote um, his autobiography, and it involves Vince McMahon. Um, And I'll just read this that, that he wrote in his book, and... It's what he put out there. Um, Here it is. You can put it on the screen right now. From his book, Supervi, the Jimmy Snuka story. This is what he wrote. Shortly after Nancy's death, I was questioned by police and let go. At one point, I went with Vince McMahon Jr. to either a court court or law office. I don't remember which because I was still in shock. All I remember is he had a briefcase with him. I don't know what happened. I think Vince Jr. picked me up from the hotel room and took me there. He didn't say anything to me. I don't know if he gave Nancy's family money or anything. The only thing I know for sure is that I didn't hurt Nancy. So this is what he puts out there many, 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 many years later. In the around 2010 to 2013 time frame, right around the time some journalists start looking into this old Jimmy Snuka case because it eventually went cold. He was never charged with a crime and eventually it just went away jimmy snuka went about his life again he started wrestling um, in 84 and he he was very popular and then eventually he was let go from wwf Um, he tried some lesser companies and eventually you know was a semi-retired wwf would bring him back every once in a while for some like legends matches um i think we have an image of one here i think chris jericho was involved in the match um, and, and he would pop up here and there over the years, but as far as being an active performer, the last time I remembered Jimmy Snuka in any sort of legitimate event would have been the early 90s when The Undertaker just showed up and The Undertaker was brand new and his first ever opponent at a WrestleMania was Jimmy Snuka. And he beat Jimmy Snuka and that was the last time I ever remembered Jimmy Snuka being like a regular active performer, not a guy that's just brought in for nostalgia. Um, But, you know, in all these years and eventually the Internet starts to come around. I was a wrestling fan. I never knew about these allegations against Jimmy Snuka. I never knew he was involved in death because so many years had passed from 1983 to the Internet age. When people started to learn more behind the curtain and, and, and we had, we were able to regularly share articles by the late 1990s. For the most part, the world forgot about Nancy Argentino and forgot about the Jimmy Snuka case the, that he had been with a woman who died. And the case went cold, just didn't really exist anymore until 30 years later when some reporters in the Northeast at a local, you know, newspaper, decide decide to start looking, you know, maybe we'll do a a check on this case again. Maybe we'll start looking at it um, and and do a 30-year retrospective on what happened with Jimmy Snuka, whose story had subtly changed over the years of what happened with Nancy Argentino. And they reopened the case. And... Then the public starts getting wind of it, as do police investigators, because the case was never considered closed. It was still an open homicide investigation. Homicide investigations never really close. And eventually it's put to the grand jury. And Jimmy Snuka is indicted for third degree murder. Um, And I would say this like 2013 or so. But there's a lot happening with Jimmy Snuka right at this time. Jimmy Snuka's health is starting to fail considerably. He has, a, I think, a stomach cancer diagnosis, and there were concerns that Jimmy Snuka wasn't altogether upstairs, that the time in the ring over the years had taken its toll on Jimmy Snuka, and, and he had severe um, neurological and brain damage issues in, in, in the dark side of the ring. So they'll say, when this finally went to court, Jimmy didn't even totally understand what was going on. And Jimmy Snuka was eventually deemed by the judge unfit to stand trial. And then, in, in months after that, Jimmy Snuka passed away. This all happened in a qu- quick, about a year amount of time, from Jimmy Snuka being in starting to reopen the investigation, to the indictment, to, to the, the court hearings where he's deemed unfit to stand trial to his death. And that's where it ended. So there was never really any justice and there was never really any chance for Jimmy Snuka to make his case in a court of law because he, he was unfit for trial and he passed away. So there's never really any conclusion to this story, no definitive conclusion. He was charged with a crime, he was indicted, but he was not convicted. Innocent until proven guilty. I've covered dozens and dozens hundreds probably murder trials in 25 years as a journalist and, you know, there's a difference between the charging of a crime and the conviction of a crime. He was never convicted. So the Argentino family never totally got justice and and we don't know that this case was ever totally solved but the coroner saying that it appears like this this should be open and and viewed as possibly a homicide not necessarily just an accident so i kind of reached out to a homicide investigator i've known um, named tom hackney he was a former director with the Jacksonville sheriff's office here in florida and he has worked several high-profile murders several a lot over the years and, and everything from kidnappings to, to drive-bys to, what's important, domestic murders, uh, crimes of passion, manslaughter, things that are maybe similar to the case that was concerned with Nancy Argentino and Jimmy Snuka. Because I wanted to get his opinion on this. He's dealt with so many, and he's also was a detective for so many years, he kind of understood the difference between... Um, homicide investigations 20, 30 years ago versus what you expect today or around the time of this 20, 2010 to 2015 time range. Because um, I wanted to get his opinion he said, this seemed like a very cut and dry case from a homicide investigator's perspective. So I wanted to get his opinion. Here's our interview with uh, now retired, but veteran homicide investigator, Tom Hackney. Well, we are joined right now by veteran, uh, retired police detective, dealt with a lot of homicides over the years, Tom Hackney. To discuss this tom thanks for joining us absolutely today. scott thanks so tom this is a very odd case mm-hmm. it looks like they have maybe the suspect maybe the killer in 1983 but nothing comes of it and it goes cold for 30 years until it's finally reopened
0: have you ever seen anything like this uh, uh, of this nature no um, this is a case that pretty much on the surface as you look at it you you know kind of what's happened with that. And Uh it was a little surprising to to kind of dig into it and see that it it went cold. So
1: let's talk about where this was versus, you know, we understand modern police work. You have DNA, you have cell phone records, GPS, you had none of that. This is small town, 1983, and your suspect is a celebrity at the peak of his celebrity. Talk to me about the dynamics of police work here, that that's just kind of a different ball game than maybe what you were even used to Yeah. So.
0: As I started coming through, uh, coming up, the the DNA and the use of DNA and the use of cell phone and technology, just every case, you you got to do a little bit more. You know, when you would go back and you would look at some of those cold cases, you'd really scratch your head about what what wasn't done or what they didn't know. And and you you look at it through your eyes, through the lens of of the current time, and you think, wow, if I only knew Mm -hmm. this and that, how much different it would have been. And, you know, you look 30 years ago at this case, much of the same thing exists so as far as
1: cold cases on a homicide they kept this open do they just like keep this in like paper files somewhere i mean because 30 years is a long time to hold on to something
0: Uh, a lot of time it's it's the hand-me-downs when you come in and out of a homicide unit uh, especially in some of the smaller agencies you get a box here's your box and here's your box of cold cases and depending on what your workload is you delve into that and you know, there's some, some benefit to that as, as a new investigator. You get a new set of eyes. You get somebody who has had the latest training, maybe not the most experienced, but sometimes the, the, the mix between those two can, can really be helpful in cold cases. Talk to me about the
1: dynamic here of this is odd because this is a guy who's very famous at this point. In an industry that's believed to be real in 1983... And like he's popping up in your police precinct, and, and and the stories are that his boss, the owner Vincent Van, comes maybe met with detectives. And you know, there's been a lot of speculation online, and I don't want to point any fingers there. But talk to me about for the detectives, could that have
0: impacted them at all? Oh yeah, you know, the, first of all, cops in general love wrestling. Okay. And and back in the day, 30 years ago, the, uh, you know, these guys are, are 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 it. They're the thing. And uh-huh. if you start seeing the guy that you know from Saturday morning wrestling Mm -hmm. walking in your office and then you see his boss, the guy who's the really top pinnacle of all this, in and around, yeah, it's no surprise that that could have something to do with it. it. It certainly could muddy the waters. What would have had to happen
1: for police in 2014, 13, whatever it was, to say more stuff starts coming out, the Internet and social media, everyone's talking about it, to them like, we need to pull this file.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's again, it goes back to maybe, maybe that new detective came through, wanted to take a fresh set of eyes at it. Uh, throughout some of these smaller agencies, you, you, you know, you get different bosses that come in that have interests in different levels that will give it to you to look at, and it's all it takes is one person to, to kind of scratch it off and, and take another look.
1: I want to go back to the original uh, investigation. You say it was pretty cut and dry because you say, I mean, she had a blow to the head. His story changed a little um and then they find marks on her i mean is that part of the, the and the marks on her they believe were from past issues past mm-hmm. incidents not not the incident i think that it was a head trauma right i, I think they yeah, really... have yeah um what's a detective doing at this point i mean is stories changing but I I don't know that they know that his story's changing. I mean, nowadays when you hear stories changing for a celebrity, you know, he says one thing online, says something on social media, (laughs) back then it's a totally different ball
0: It's quick and easy to go back and and look at the sound bite from from in today's world. Then, you know, there's not a whole lot that you could do. And in some of the smaller jurisdictions, you, you may have something that occurred in another jurisdiction right next door that you wouldn't have knowledge about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things, that, it's, it, it's a level of difficulty that, that they have and, and, and also with, with experience levels.
1: And on a domestic case, uh, you've probably dealt with a lot of domestic, domestic homicides. Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying it was an accident. He's crying, he's emotional. He's saying she hit her head. I mean, what police work is done to determine cause of death? And, and can that be not necessarily definitive?
0: yeah i mean there there are times that you have a story that that will coincide with what your physical evidence says, and it, it is difficult to to do and you know some of that comes with the prosecutor as well it, it's 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 a team thing that goes between the investigator, the prosecutor, as well as the medical examiner to all get together and talk about you know, the cause of death and what could have happened. What was the what was the method of injury here? What what could have caused the injuries that she had? Does it
1: get to the point where the detective goes and meets, I mean, here in Florida, be state attorney, it's, you mm-hmm. know, county prosecutor, whatever the jurisdiction. Do you get to the point where you go meet with the lawyer for the state or the county, and they're like, I don't know that I can prosecute yeah. this? Is that part and, of
0: it? And that, that, that involves some of the frustration that you have investigating homicides, where you may know who has responsibility for a crime but to reach a level of a successful prosecution you're just not there
1: could that have been a reality yeah
0: honestly that that could have been uh, back in the day and again you fix all the influences that could be there and Mm -hmm. you know you have him telling a story i've got really nothing that can disprove his story and
1: you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt
0: absolutely you know I, i always have to remind detectives that you know this isn't about making an arrest this is about a successful prosecution that's, that's the end, that's when it's done.
1: We talked earlier in the interview about uh, someone powerful from the outside coming in. Let's just talk about like a lawyer. If someone's got a really good lawyer, mm-hmm. can that make an impact in cases like these? Oh, oh absolutely. How so?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's an external force that comes in and can help that person accused of a crime. Uh, it can help direct things or direct attention away from them. Uh, certainly, if somebody doesn't want to make a statement based on what their attorney and, of course, they have every right to, to do that yeah. within the Constitution. Sure. But that can hamper the investigation. It certainly can, can kind of tie the hands of the investigator. And that may reach that point that that prosecutor says, hey, I don't have quite enough there.
1: And is it typically the, the, the prosecutor, the coroner or medical examiner and the detectives kind of working together on that yeah, decision
0: it's it's, a, it's kind of a, a, the triangle of of those three pieces that that you need to put together and and you know you may have a a, a medical examiner or coroner who who's doesn't quite have it there who says you he's
1: know, saying i'm looking at that but i can't definitively say I, that's what caused and it. and again
0: that's where the detective comes in who wants to help them determine what the method of the injury is if you know in this particular case she's got a head wound what could have caused that head wound is you know is there a weapon that they could find that that caused that is it something in the room where they were and all three of those pieces work together and the prosecutor the prosecutor knows what they need to be able to successfully prosecute mm-hmm. and kind of directs the other two you know the the medical examiner or the corner is based on their medical ex- expertise so there's there's no there's no external influence it's science and that's what you have there it's but it's science all, in 1983 yeah exactly well you know that the good and the bad thing is the, the forensic pathology. Even back then, although it wasn't involving DNA and it wasn't involved in some of the other things, it, it, it still is what it is. You know, there, it is a homicide by way of blunt force trauma that maybe I don't know the weapon. Last question. Um, on the,
1: the 30 years, which just fascinates me, like why wasn't this reopened at 10 years or 15 years yeah. or 20? Um, is talking about the reality of cold cases, I mean can they just sit in a file and kind of after five or six years kind of be forgotten about by detectives
0: Uh, i mean the unfortunate truth is yes based on again kind of the level of work you know when in in jacksonville here when we we have a exceptionally high year um you know that kind of takes detectives time now we the sheriff's office here has a has a cold case unit that's directed towards doing that but again, the, you know, officer-involved shootings. But that, in Jacksonville, ones. that's
1: a major agency as opposed oh, to a as, small Oh, yeah, exactly. Agent. I mean,
0: you've got yeah. the, the fact that Jacksonville has a full-time team dedicated to this is the exception and not the rule. Some of those smaller agencies, again, like I say, you get the hand-me-down box when you come in. Yeah. So if their direction isn't towards that, it's, it, 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 it will. It. It'll, it'll gather dust on a shelf.
1: Tom Hackney, retired police detective. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you dealing with a lot of homicides like these, but this is definitely a unique one. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. So I appreciate Tom coming on to kind of give us the perspective of the homicide. And and as he said, you know, after so many years, these things can, you know, agencies just move on. They've got other homicides they need to crack. And it is what it is. Um, There was never a full conclusion to this, to the death of Nancy Argentino. The family did not get justice. Jimmy Snuka never saw, a, a trial, uh, both due to, um, the aspect of him being deemed unfit to stand trial and, and of course, passing away. Um, the family did get a, a modicum of justice with their, uh, wrongful death lawsuit against him, but he never paid. So there's that. But uh, the question in, in, in the world of pro wrestling is what is Jimmy Snuka's legacy? Prior to this, um, happening and coming back up around you know 2013 there were some whispers about jimmy snuka's past but for the most part he was a revered legend in pro wrestling they would bring him back a lot i mean he would show up the fans would pop the fans would get excited he had children uh, a son and daughter who tried wrestling um and but after the news of the murder started to come out when it was reopened, and eventually the, the the case went to a judge. Jimmy Snuka's legacy started to have a little asterisk next to it. Um, I think Mick Foley has been you know, uh, quoted. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's saying it's kind of inextricably linked to him now. I mean, you can't not see it. Even though he was never convicted of the crime, he was still charged with murder. Um, the legendary status kind of goes away then wwe has released statements a couple times on this over the years just saying we need to let the legal process um play out which is typically out of corporation to respond to something like that um but i wanted to bring in joe v joe v is a joe with is an anchor at kptv out in portland oregon huge huge wrestling fan and historian uh kind of wanted to get his perspective on this Um, you know on on the legacy of Jimmy Snuka now going from one of the guys who was considered one of the greats of all time to having this asterisk next to his name that he was charged with a third degree murder. Here's our interview with Joe V. Well, we're joined again by Joe V to talk about this issue of the... Really, the legacy of Jimmy Snuka, not the ins and outs of the lawsuit and and the investigation, which we've been talking about here, but Jimmy Snuka and his legacy following what happened with with the charges that were filed before his death. Joe V, thanks for joining us, and and your thoughts on what this did to the legacy of Jimmy Snuka, who was really beloved for many years.
2: No, I mean, well, first of all, let's put Snuka in his um, just. On the wrestling side of things, in proper context, I mean, he was—he was the biggest babyface star in WWE right before Hulk Hogan took off. I mean, yep. he was selling out Madison Square Garden tippy-top star. Um, it was—it's kind of been well documented that he had demons and personal issues. Um, I've heard stories from other wrestlers about him <laughs> that I won't repeat here, but that involved, you know. Basically fighting demons, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, substance abuse and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, look, you just can't, and I feel the same way about, and I want to point out, I don't know all the finer points of the Jimmy Snuka case. I I just don't. So I don't want to be an expert on that. But anytime there's allegations or uh, actual charges of you taking someone's life, I mean, it, all the wrestling stuff seems kind of inconsequential. It's just hard to get excited. I can't watch a Chris Benoit match. I won't yeah. do it. Some people are fine with it. I actually interviewed Chris Benoit. He put me in the crossface. This was years ago. Took pictures with him. Could not have been a nicer guy. Um, I won't watch a match with Chris Benoit. And quite honestly, it's 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 kind of hard to look at Jimmy Snooker the same way. I mean, it's just, so again... So, I-
1: this happens, and I'm assuming there's rumors and backstage discussion about it along the way in the early to mid 80s. He had a lengthy career after this. I mean, he continues yeah. at WWE to the early WWF through the early 90s. They keep bringing him back in kind of a legend status. Do You think that damages WWE, WWF, that they kept bringing him back as long as they did when maybe there was a specter behind the scenes? Although I guess it wasn't really public at that point, not until it, in the mid 2000s when you know, the cases kind of reopen and, and gain steam again. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. You know, again, I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know every aspect of this case. I don't yeah. know what a Vince McMahon knew or didn't know or how involved he was. I don't know any of that. So I don't want to sit here and speculate about, well, they knew this happened and they shouldn't have. Um, all I did know is that the fans didn't know about it. I didn't know yeah. about it. I had no problem cheering to Jimmy Snook. I would be, I would have been excited to see him. Uh, I remember when The Rock brought him and Don Morocco out backstage at WrestleMania 20, it was exciting to see him. So, um, uh, you know, look, he wouldn't be the first questionable character that was, you know, brought out on a wrestling program uh, despite there being allegations against him. But I don't want to, like, I don't want to cast stones at WWE because I just don't know what they knew, I you know. not an expert on that do you think um this
1: kind of just essentially tarnishes his legacy uh maybe not to the extreme of benoit but i mean jimmy was somewhat of a beloved figure in in the industry and then this comes out prior to his death
2: i don't i don't think there's any question about it i mean it's um it's an extremely dark at the at the very least at the very least a very very dark cloud Over over Jimmy Snuka, and um, you know, I would say it's a shame because he was a great wrestler. But you know, when you're again, when you're talking about issues of life and death, wrestling doesn't matter. And so, um, yeah, I I think it does. I mean, I think it does for a lot of people. Now, look, that doesn't mean I'm telling people never watch a Jimmy Snuka match or a bad person. No, that's not not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, for me personally, yeah. I mean, I think it's obviously um, a really dark dark shadow that. Understandably, a lot of people are never going to get past.
1: Well, Jovi, thanks again for your perspective on this. We'll see you next time. All right, man. So, it's kind of where we're at. Um, the legacy is tarnished. He was never convicted in her death, but he was charged with third degree murder in a in a case where he never was deemed um, not guilty. That just never went to trial. He, he, was, el- he was elderly, he, his brain was not in great shape, and, and he couldn't stand trial, and he passed away. It is a tragic story all the way around, particularly for the ar- family of Nancy Argentino, who never got the justice, who never got the closure. I have covered hundreds and hundreds of homicides over the years. as a, My other job is as a TV reporter. Um, and the family particularly in the ones that are unsolved always say we just want closure it, they never got it they never got it and you have to know before um those journalists in around 2013 start digging this up again and eventually goes to grand jury they were probably the only ones who remembered it because it was the early 1980s those things get buried they get forgotten about the the internet uh, in a lot of aspects of society. If it, if it didn't happen before the late nineties and it wasn't a major, major event, you know, it's almost like so much didn't happen because there is no, um, internet record of it existing, but it it did come out again. I mean, Jimmy Snuka, um, was charged, um, and and it's horrific is, is, is stories changed over the years and people, You know, had a lot of trust issues there and the grand jury felt there was enough um, to indict. And so they did. And I do want to say if you ever do go watch this episode of Dark Side of the Ring, we're going to link it in my article on this at newsforjax.com, which episode it is. Um, They do interview one of the police supervisors from that agency in it. He's in it a lot. They ask him a lot of questions. You can go and listen to him and see what you think. but that's kind of where it's at. It is one of those uh, sad skeletons in the history of wrestling's closet. Um, you think of Chris Benoit. You think of the Jimmy Snuka murder. I think those are kind of the other ones. You have, you have the other tragedies like Owen Hart, the murder of Bruiser Brody. Um, but, but where a, a wrestler has been charged as a killer, it's just, it's a, it, it tarnishes his legacy. Uh, there's no question about it. So I appreciate you sticking with us uh, for this episode of Going Ringside. hope to have a much more upbeat one and positive one, not such a downer like this episode was, um, but it it was an important episode, one I definitely wanted to tackle because it's really a historical thing in the world of pro wrestling. Uh, A young lady whose life was just taken too soon. But we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today. We'll see you next time on Going Ringside.
0: This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player on Newsport Jacks Plus, as well as the Newsport Jacks YouTube channel.